hope you're having a, a good summer and also growing in the midst of your summer. It's just kind of challenging. I think sometimes we get hot and you just kind of want to uh, lag. But uh, I hope that, uh, especially for you men, this has been an encouraging series for you to, uh, to literally man up and uh, learn a little bit more about being a man and being a leader. So today, I want to start out with a little commercial from the past. See if uh, some of you remember this, and for some of you, this may be brand new. These are cola nuts. They grow here. They're used to make cola-flavored soft drinks. These, on the other hand, are uncola nuts. They grow here too. But as you can see, they're a bit different from cola nuts. Rather larger, for one thing. Rather juicier too, I'd say. Marvelous little things, uncola nuts. We use them, of course, to make the uncola seven up. It's the uncola nut that helps give the uncola its je ne sais quoi. You know, fresh, clean taste, no aftertaste, wet, wild, all that. Marvelous, absolutely marvelous. Just try making something like that out of a cola nut. Why, it's even prettier than a cola. Nuttier than a cola, actually. <laughs> All right. Anybody remember those? <laughs> you want to admit that? You remember that? It just forever marks you now. Audrey was talking to Jacob. He's like, what's 7-Up have to do with any of this unleader stuff? What is that? So, you know, for some generations, that might be brand new now. now you guys recognize he, he's one of the bad guys from James Bond. Remember that? Yeah, he's one of the James Bond bad guys. Jeffrey Holder, I think, is his name. But I always think, uh, whenever I met Marvell, I always thought, marvelous, marvelous, marvelous Marvell. So, the Uncola. Now, what, what's the deal with that? Well, 7-Up, that forever marks 7-Up as the Uncola. The point was simple, isn't it? 7-Up is not a, not a cola. Why? Because you put those two little letters... UN in front of a word, and what does it do? It makes it be the opposite. It's it's different from that word. It's opposite. If you say something is uncool, it's not cool. If it's unstable, then it's the opposite of being stable. Well, what does this have to do with what we've been studying with manning up? Well, quite a bit, because if you put those two little letters in front of the word leader, what do you get? You get not a leader. You get an unleader, someone that's very different and quite the opposite of a true leader. So I don't know, maybe you don't like 7-Up, but those that do, the uncola, it may be cool and refreshing, but the fact is an unleader is not cool and not refreshing to those that follow him or even her. So there's lots of unleaders in the Bible. As we've looked through this series, I, want us to look, I wanted us to look at, okay, what's a man? How can I man up as a man? How can I man up as a husband? How can I man up as a dad? But ultimately, how can I man up as a leader? Well, there's a lot of unleaders in the Bible uh, that we could look at. But I want, I want you to turn to the shortest book in the Bible today. So I want you to turn your Bibles to 3 John. 3 John, shortest book in the Bible. It's all the way at the back of the Bible. You can go to Revelation. And then turn back to Jude, and then turn back one more, and you've got Third John. Third John. And we're going to meet a guy by the name of Diotrephes. Diotrephes. And he is the epitome, the ultimate example of an unleader. And we're going to look at his life. We're going to look at his leadership in the local church. 
And we're going to discover the kind of leader that you never want to be. But it's the kind of leader that every one of us is tempted to be, especially us as men. This may not be what we want to be, but it's what we are tempted to be. In fact, I would put so I would go so far as to say, guys, that if you don't actively pursue Jesus, this is the leader that you are and that I am apart from Christ. So let's look at it. we're going to we're going to look that and see that Diotrephes very much wanted to be a leader in his church. In fact, he probably thought he was the leader in the church. He may even thought he was and I, in fact, I would say he definitely thought he was the leader in the church. And maybe he was. Maybe he actually had this position. We don't know. Because it really isn't about position and title. It, it's about a mindset. And as we're going to see, it's about our motives for leadership. But sadly, Diotrephes was an unleader. We're going to see that he was unsacrificial, untrue, unloving, uncooperative, ungodly, and maybe even unsaved. So why is this important? Well... As I've already said, as we man up as men, as we man up as husbands, as we man up as dads, this automatically puts us in a position to be leaders in the church. Listen, it's really that simple. If I'll be a godly, manly Christ follower, if I'll be the husband that God wants me to be, the dad that God wants me to be, you're going to be looked up to. You're going to have influence in the church. You see, the reality is this, often the most... The people that are least qualified to be leaders often are the ones that want to be the leader the most. And the opposite is true. Those that are most qualified are often the ones that will not pursue that position. They'll accept that responsibility. They'll respond to God's leading, but they're not hungry for it. They're not pursuing it. In fact, anybody that is desperate to have a leadership position pretty much has disqualified themselves by that desperation, or they should. Now, we're defining masculinity, so look again at that definition. What is it? Masculinity is the courage to man up. To man up and be the man God created you to be and Christ saves you to become. Again, I want to remind you that this is what you really want. So don't, don't push back against these lessons. In fact, as, as we, uh, we had technical difficulties with the first two, so I haven't gotten them up yet, but last week's up, this one will be up, and... Uh, you know, listen to these things and, and don't fight against it. Where it reveals your weakness, admit that, embrace that. Because here's the deal. This is what God created you to be, and he's provided a way for you to be this kind of person through the Lord Jesus Christ. Masculinity, in the longer definition, is the courage to take the initiative to lead, to love, to provide, and to protect others with the kind of character that God requires and the kind of character he supplies. And he does it for his glory, and he does it for the good of others, especially as men, for women, for children, and for his local church. Now, we've said through the series, such a, such a man is hard to find and, and yet easy to follow. And the reason they're hard to find but easy to follow is because of our theme verse, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Let me say it again. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. We saw that such a man as that will stay alert in prayer, stand firm in the word, step forward in obedience, seek strength from the Lord, and saturates everything in love. Hard to find, easy to follow. We also saw that such a man will draw his children to himself and to his God. 
rather than drive them away from himself and from his God. Why? Because they've learned to avoid the number one mistake that most dads make, and that is provoking their children. So we looked at Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And last week we saw that such a man will be a servant leader to his wife by sacrificially loving her like Christ loves the church. And we looked at Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. Well, today I want us to look at 3 John. Because in 3 John, it's being this kind of man that we've been studying that qualifies you for leadership in the church. But we're going to see that it's, it's not only the qualified that end up being in leadership. So in, as I, we're going to read 3 John here in a moment. But when we do, I want you to introduce to the people that are in this short letter. There's four significant people. The first one you're going to meet, the first three are true leaders. And these are the author of the letter, who is the Apostle John. He identifies himself as the elder, the elder, for a couple reasons. One, he's probably old. In fact, he was probably the last living apostle. You know, so it's, you know, literally you could translate this, the old man. It's the old man talking to you. You know, if you won't listen to me for any other reason, listen to me because I've hung on this long and I've got something to share you, okay? But it's more than that. It's the elder in the sense of his being the last living apostle. He's not just a pastor. He's like the pastor. You know, he's the... In fact, he was he was in charge of various churches there in Asia Minor. In other words, in a sense, he's saying the leader due to experience and God's calling as an apostle. So we're going we're gonna to be introduced to him. Uh, the second person is the recipient of the letter, and that's a man by the name of Gaius, who John calls beloved. Beloved, meaning God had chosen him from the foundation of the world to pour his unconditional love on him. He is loved of God, and he's loved of God's people, and he was probably one of the leaders in the church. That's why John's writing to him. But perhaps he wasn't the leader. And then the third true leader that we see in this letter is is a man by the name of Demetrius. And we're going to see that he has a good reputation with insiders and outsiders. And more than likely, he delivered the the letter. And so John introduces him as, hey, the one who is bringing this letter to you, he's a true leader. He's a true man. Uh, Respect and follow him. The fourth individual that we see in this short letter is an unleader. And he's the antagonist of the letter, and he's the antagonist of the church. He's, he's the problem that the letter deals with. He's a man by the name of Diotrephes, and he's singled out as an unleader that no one should imitate and no one should be influenced by. So let's take a look at this short letter. Let's read it together, and let's, let's follow along as I read. The elder, the apostle John, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Love in truth, key, key theme for true leaders. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. How would you like someone to pray for you that you'd be as physically healthy as your spiritual life? Okay, do we need to take a moment and like confess, repent, and get right? How would you, I, I, I'm going to start praying for our class that we'd be as physically healthy as we are spiritually. Now, hopefully, you know, everybody's not in the hospital next week. Okay, we, we want to pray. This is an awesome prayer. 
And it's one that John had confidence that he could pray. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in truth. He's saying those under his care, those he's led to Christ, those he's discipled, those he is leading. No leader likes anything better than to hear those who are under his influence are walking in truth. Beloved, third time he said this, beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, visiting missionaries, visiting leaders, visiting pastors who needed help and support, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, the name of Christ, the glory of God, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. That's an unleader. Beloved, fourth time. Do not imitate evil. Gee, I wonder or what evil he's talking about. What do you think? What he just talked about, the man that he just talked about. Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius, not Diotrephes, but Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. Father, we pray that you would give us insight into where we are in our leadership. I pray that you would help us to see that we're all leaders. Someone is following us, whether it's our wives, our children, our church, our ministry, the people in our ministry the people that we work with, Lord, help us to see where we're unleaders and step up, man up, and be true leaders that will be glorify you and be rewarded by you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Did I just pray that we had many wives? I think I did. But follow your wife follows you. Okay. I, didn't, I thought, wow, I just affirmed polygamy in my prayer. Okay. Let's look at this. Now, here's what we want to do. Seven marks, you know, since we're talking about the Uncola and in, in memory of the marvelous man of the 7-Up commercials, we've got seven marks of an unleader that we can find. We're going to focus in on verses 9 through 12. 9 through 12, and we're looking at diatrophies, what not to be. Let's look at number one. The first characteristic and the main characteristic is this. An unleader is an unservant. An unservant. Now, I think this is the only unword I have that's not really a word, but it's the idea. You put un in front of a word, and it's the opposite. Unleaders are not servants. And that is the number one obstacle to being a godly leader. You must be a servant. Notice what it says. What is the number one characteristic? Out of these verses, number one characteristic is right there in verse 9, Diotrephes, who likes what? Who loves or likes what? To put himself first. The word is phileo. It's two words combined together. Phileo, Greek for love. 
friendship kind of love, and protos, which is a word for first. He loves to be, oh, marvelous. Good for you to be here. Better you to be here. Marvelous. Me first is always the mark of an unleader. This is the number one obstacle to being a true leader in God's estimation. He wanted to be first. Let's, let's look at this. Literally, loves to be first, likes being number one. It's a love for being in charge and exercising control of others. This is the heart of an unleader, and it's not pretty. And you need to stop, and you've got to look at it. This is the heart of an unleader. Me first. He's personally committed to getting what's best for himself, and being in the best position possible with the most power and the most control. This is the total opposite of what we studied last week of the servant leader who leads by sacrificially loving those he is leading. Now, we ended last week with a powerful video that many of you uh, commented on by, about Robert McQuilkin. And remember, Robert McQuilkin resigned as president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary to care for his wife, who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. That's the kind of servant leadership, sacrificial love. That's a true leader. And see, the irony of it is he stepped down from a leadership position. He stepped down from a title, a place of great recognition. And even the Christian, uh, uh, a lot of the Christian people around him said, no, don't do that. Don't do that. You're needed here. He said, no, I'm, I'm needed more over here. Now, the irony of that is uh, not too long after that, or around the same time, a televangelist that uh, I won't name, but you would know who it is, gave some advice to a man who asked about his obligation to his wife with Alzheimer's. Same situ- very similar situation. And the televangelist was asked, what advice a man should give to a friend who began seeing another woman after his wife started suffering from the incurable neurological disorder. And here's what this evangelist said. I know it sounds cruel, but if he's going to do something, he should divorce her and start her all over again. Make sure he has custodial care and somebody looking after her. Now, the co-host challenged the host and asked him about the couple's marriage vows to take care of each other for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. And here's what this man said. If you respect that vow, you say, till death to us part. And this is a kind of death. So you see the justification? Now you see, this is the irony of that. You have two leaders. One who, at least in that advice, is an unleader and another who is a true leader, one who is unservant, and one who is a servant. And and so what happens is who we are as men comes out in our leadership. And just giving advice, see, that could just as, forget the televangelist, forget the TV, that could just as easily be one of you, and someone comes to you in our church and seeks advice. And if you go to an unleader, they're going to give you advice like that. You go to a true leader, they're going to point you to Christ's sacrificial, loving leadership. You see, this is the total opposite of the kind of leadership that Jesus modeled and taught to his followers. Let me just give you a couple passages. Mark chapter 10. In fact, turn there in your Bibles. Mark chapter 10, 41 through 45. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, 41 through 45, because we really we want to take this, this, this statement by John about diatrophies. He loves to put himself in the first place. He loves it. He longs for it. He, he, he'll fight for it. 
Here's what Jesus said. Mark 10, 41 through 45, it's, it's right after James and John have gone to Jesus on the side where no one would hear and said, hey, could we have the top two positions? Could you designate us as your number two and number three man? I'm sure they had fought out who was going to be number two and who would be number three, but, but at least as long as it was in the family and we were over the rest. Well, here's what happened, verse 41. And when the ten heard it, the other ten disciples, they began to be indignant at James and John. Now, that's, that just doesn't quite show the emotion that's in those words. They were ticked, and they were mad, and they were angry. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, notice, he doesn't just, he doesn't, see, it's not just asking for it. It was getting mad that they, that was just as bad. They were all unleaders. You see what I'm saying? See, we think, oh, the bad guy is the guy that wants the position. But us being jealous, envious, angry, and all put out by it shows that we're no different. Right. And so here's what he says. He called them all over and said, you know, that those who are considered rulers, I think that's interesting. He's basically saying they aren't in God's eyes. They're unleaders, but they're treated as though they're leaders of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Those are unleaders, your true leaders, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be the first among you must be slave of all holy upside down for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many how you just can't say it any better than that and in fact there's not much to say about it you just read it and you let it scorch and x-ray and do surgery on your heart and your motives. You want to be a, a leader, then be the best servant for the best of, to all people. Even the Son of Man. Him who's going to rule the world. Him whose name is above every name. Even he came not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, I, and, and they didn't just have this discussion once. In Mark chapter 9, they had already had this discussion. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you guys chatting about on the way? You guys seemed pretty emotional, pretty intense about that. But they kept silent, for on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Now, here's the deal. You come in front of Jesus, and you know your motives immediately get exposed. You see, you just, you just, you come under this word of God and immediately the x-ray of God's word says you're wrong. They didn't need a discussion. They knew they were wrong. And as long as you, there's a distance between you and Jesus, then you can conduct yourself this way. But the second you draw near, you're convicted. Convicted. And it wasn't just the political and secular leaders that Jesus rebuked for being unleaders. Listen to this in Luke 20, 45 through 47. And while all the people were listening, because he wanted the followers to hear this, not just the leaders, he said to the disciples, beware of the scribes, the religious leaders, who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplace. In other words, they wanted to look like leaders. They wanted the titles of leaders and chief seats. They wanted the position, the place, and the places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses. See, they're not servants. And they're not sacrificial. And for appearance sake, offer long prayers. They would never do that in private. They did it 
for people to hear them. These will receive the greater condemnation. He goes on. Now, let me, let me, ham, I've hammered on that for a little bit. Let me step back and give you some balance on that. First of all, let me say this. Did Jesus mean that none of the 12 may be leaders of leaders? Did he mean that there wouldn't be anyone on his left and right? Did he mean out of the 12, there would just be this equality where there was no leader among the 12? Is that what he meant? No. How do we know that? Who was the leader among the 12? We all know. Who was it? It was Peter. It was Peter. Listen to Matthew 10, 12. Matthew writing one of the 12, who's not the number one, says this. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. And then he goes on in names. He says, first, Simon. What's he saying? This is the one who was the leader of leaders. This is the one that God had gifted. This is the one Christ had called. So the idea is not being a leader is not a sinful thing. Neither did Jesus mean that we should never seek to be leaders among God's people. Some of do, you, do do we remember leadership is a spiritual gift? Okay, so if you're gonna if you're gonna strip everybody of leadership, strip everybody of power, and say, "Oh, we're all servants here. No one's the no one's the leader. We just all serve one another." That's crazy because God's putting a leadership gift in some of us, and those who have that gift are going to want to lead. That's not sinful. So what's the point? How, how can I bring balance to this? Well, here's how I would say it. The issue is not being a leader. The issue is not wanting to be leader. You know what the issue is? Why? Why do you want to be a leader? Why do you want to be a leader? There's only two motives. You could have the unleader motive of diatrophies. Is it because you love being number one? Is it because like the 12, you want to be the greatest? And you want to be known as the, as the top dog, the big cheese, the big kahuna, the big man on campus, the big man on the job, the big man in the family or in the church? Or do you want to be a true leader? And the reason I want to lead is because I want to serve more people. I want to serve more people. You see, the issue is one of motive. If we had time, I'd take you to 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. And in 1 Peter 5, he, Peter, the one who is first, The one who is God's leader says it's all about motive. And he he basically tells us three reasons why we should want to lead or why we should lead. It shouldn't be under compulsion, but willingly. In other words, not because I, I, I have to, it's because I want to and God's called me to this. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. In other words, it's not what you can get from being a leader. It's what you can give to others. And it says, not domineering over those who are in your charge, but being examples to the flock. It's not because you get to tell people what to do. It's because you get to show them what to do. Big difference. Big difference. Dads, husbands, moms, parents, grandparents even here. Are you leading because you're telling people what to do? Or are you leading because you show them and they could walk alongside you and see what it is that you're trying to teach. Here, here, here's the bottom line. Jesus repeatedly warned his followers that those who are first now, those who are most popular, most, po- more, most powerful, and most visible, often in the kingdom of God will be last. Man, I always remember this. The longer you walk with Christ, the more you see examples, and I register in my mind, that's someone who's last, but it's going to be first. It's those, those quiet servants, those people behind the scenes, that lead by example, that you can always count on. 
and that, 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 that every once in a while you get to look into their life and you're like, whoa, man, that's how deep their prayer life is. That's, that's how great their service is. And I always think in my mind, you know what? That's going to be some of the people that are at the front of the line. It's not going to be the televangelists. It's not going to be the lead pastors. It's not going to be all the people that are up front necessarily. Jesus constantly told his disciples, first shall be last, the last shall be first. So don't, you know, don't get down on yourself. You think, well, I'm not a leader. This isn't relevant for me. I, I'm not powerful enough. I'm not visible enough. Well, you're, 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 you're powerful enough to influence somebody, and you're visible enough to be seen by somebody. What kind of leader are you? Are you a servant leader? You know, there's a recent evangelistic ad campaign. How many of you have seen that? I am second. Seen some of the billboards, some of the advertisements. I am second. Now, the idea is they take celebrities who are Christians and and they they say they give their testimony and say, I am second. Why? Because when you become a Christ follower, who's first? Christ and who's second? You. Now, to be really biblical and it wouldn't be as quite good marketing, but to be more biblical, it should be I am third. Why? Because who's first? Christ and who's second? Others and I am third. I am third. Well, that wasn't in Diotrephes' vocabulary. I'm first and I like being first. And I don't want you to get in my way. So our church doesn't need any more unleaders. We don't need unleaders who always look out for themselves even or even look out for their own family. I'm doing what's in the interest of my family. No, we need men to step up and say, I'm looking out for what's in the interest of God's family. And I'm going to take my family and serve God's family, and we're going to be servants together. So, unleaders are unservants. And the reason they're unservants is because, number two, they're unteachable. Unleaders are unteachable. Why was Diotrephes this way? Well, let me say this. Because he was this way, he was unteachable. Notice what it says in verse 9. Read verse 9 again. I have written something to the church... But Diotrephes, and then he says, by the way, here's his motives, who likes to be put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. He was unteachable. Now, this is a second mark, a refusal to put himself under the lordship of the living word, Jesus, his written word, the scriptures, and the leadership of God's leaders in the church. See, his love for being a top dog, his passion to sit in the first chair, his need to be the man in the church kept him from doing five basic things. In this one sentence, let me just quickly give you five, five ways that he was unteachable. First of all, he refused to acknowledge the authority of God. He refused to acknowledge the authority of God. Why do I say that? Because the Apostle Paul is writing Scripture. The Apostle, I'm sorry, I knew I was going to do this. The Apostle John was writing Scripture, and the Apostle John is Christ's representative. So when you buck John, you're not bucking a man. Who are you bucking? God himself. It's as though Christ is saying, I am writing to my church, and he's blowing me off. So the root of rebellion, and please understand this, when we buck authority, you know somebody that bucks authority, the authority they're bucking is ultimately who? God. Because there's not authority on this planet that hasn't been placed there by God. You know, even the, the most ungodly authority has authority and is reflective of God's authority. Secondly, 
He refused to acknowledge the authority of God's word in his life. He says, I have written something. I have written it. And, and we don't have that letter. Some people believe Diotrephes tore it up. Well, I'm not going to read this to the church. I'm going to tear it up. Now, if that had been inspired and God wanted the whole church to have it, Diotrephes couldn't tear it up, couldn't ruin it. What we do have is this written word, but what we know is this. It was God's word, and he, he, he didn't want to be under the word of God. The third thing that he didn't acknowledge is the authority of God's pastors or leaders in his life. He blew off the God-given leadership and authority of the apostle as a leader sent by Christ. So he says, I, he does not acknowledge our authority. Ultimately, God has godly representatives. And if we're submitted to God, then we're going to submit to our godly leaders. Not mindlessly, not, not without evaluation and discernment, but with a yieldedness and a willingness and a joyfulness. Third, th- fourth authority he did acknowledge in his life was the, acknowledge- the authority of God's church over his life. Notice he says, I wrote something to the church. To the church. And here's what, di- here's what unleaders do. Unleaders are so unteachable, they're like, I don't care what's good for the church. I want my agenda. I want my project. I want the monies to go to my passion. I want my class, my ministry, my, my concern for the church to be greater than the entire church. You see what he's saying? He's writing to the church. And Diotrephe says, what I want's more important. And then fifthly, He didn't acknowledge the authority of God's mission over his life. The something, says in the ESV, I've written something, more than likely is the same thing that he wrote here in 3 John. He wrote it to the church. Diotrephes probably tore it up. And now he's writing again. He says, well, I'm not going to write Diotrephes, or I'm going to write to someone I know I can trust. I'm going to write to Gaius. And so the message is there, and and the message is this. We need to sacrifice to support the gospel. And Diotrephe says, I don't want to do that. I want everything to be focused on me. So men, let's man up and be teachable. Listen and learn from what God has written in his word. Take notes, put into practice. Okay, if you don't like taking notes, great. Then put into practice what you hear. Because that's the bottom line. Because you can take notes and not practice it. Start being consistent. Start out by being consistent and coming and learning from God's word. Discovery hour, here we can grow deeper in God's word. Small groups is a place to grow closer to one another and and apply God's word. One-on-one discipleship, a place to grow stronger in your relationship with the Lord. Those are three great avenues by which you can develop as a leader or develop others as a leader if you are established in those things. All these places are places that you can grow, help serve, and provide opportunity for you to develop your servant leadership in our church. All these ministries, whether it's Discovery Hour, whether it's Small Group, whether it's Discipleship or the other many ministries we have, those are ministries where you can serve and develop as a leader. Well, if you're unteachable, you're going to be untrue, and that's the third characteristic. The third characteristic is an unleader is untrue. Because here's what he says in verse 10. Just how did Diotrephes reject John's leadership and the leadership of God in his life? An unleader is untrue because look at what he says in verse 10. So if I come, and you could also translate that when I come. So when I come, I will bring up what he is doing. 
Wouldn't you love to be in that meeting? I will bring up what he is doing. I'm going to throw the covers. What he's doing, whispering, going house to house, emailing, texting, Facebooking. I'm going to bring it out to the open. I'm going to bring it up. And we're going to deal with it. I will bring up what he's doing. And here's what he's doing. Talking wicked nonsense against us. Now, that's just, you know, there's many ways to translate that. Talking wicked nonsense against us. Here's the great contrast. Let me just give you some contrast. Just in this one verse, you see a big contrast between an unleader and a leader. Diotrephes, the unleader, spreads false accusations. We know that because John says they're nonsense. And the word literally means in the Greek, nonsense. You're talking baseless, groundless accusations. John, the true leader, squelches these false accusations, and he confronts the one that's spreading them. That's what true leaders do. They don't just listen. They squelch. They challenge. They don't let it go on. Uh, Here's another contrast. Diotrephes, the unleader, is characterized by ungodly living. Notice he says, I'm going to bring up what he is doing, speaking wicked words. See, See, I think the longer we're Christians, the more we think that sins of speech are not sin. See, I'm not doing these things. I'm just being entertained by them. I'm just... I'm just talking about them. I'm just, you know, I, I don't go out and kill people. I just murder them with my words. He was characterized by ungodly living. John, the true leader, challenges false living. You see, more and more in our society, we mistake love as not ever confronting. We mistake love as condoning rather than challenging. And what John is doing, he's saying, look, this isn't going to, I, I don't want to have this meeting I don't want to enter into this confrontation, but the reality is we as a church are going to have to address it. And sometimes the church has to deal with church discipline, and no one is eager to go into that. In fact, sometimes leaders wimp out and don't man up and avoid the kind of discipline that it takes. And that's being an unleader. You've got to confront it. Now, there's all different ways, and here's the reality. And the reason leaders, after a while, the reason leaders don't like doing that is because you never please at anyone. I didn't say everyone. You never really please anyone when you handle those kind of things. Because you're always accused of being what? Either too soft or too hard. Or you're accused of not dealing with it quick enough. Or you're accused of taking too long to deal with it. When you've been in leadership long enough, you realize, okay, I've got to answer to God. I've got to do this with a group of other godly leaders. And then we're just going to have to take our beating. Because that's what true leaders do. They sacrifice and they serve. Now, here's another contrast. Diotrephes, the unleader, tears others down with his words to build himself up. That's what he's doing to John. He's tearing John down so he can stay in the first place. John, the true leader, builds others up with his words to build up the church and the cause of Christ. What he says here about Diotrephes, he's very restrained. And he says, we'll deal with it, but I'm not going to put it all in writing right now. We're going to deal with it face to face. And then finally, here's the bottom line. Diotrephes, the unleader, is walking the lie. He's untrue. And John, the true leader, is walking in truth. So, let me show you the contrast with Gaius. Okay? Here's what Diotrephes is not doing. Look at John, 3 John 3 and 4. Look at what John says about Gaius. This is a true leader. Walking, his, his words are true, 
and can be trusted. His works are true and his walk is true. Notice what it says in verses 3 and 4. By the way, this is why he can pray, verse 2. The reason I can pray that you'll be as physically fit as you are spiritually is because I know you're spiritually fit, verses 3 and 4. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. Now, that's a radical statement. I testify your truth. What do you mean? It just means everything about this guy is consistent. He's just true. He's just true. And then notice what he says. For I rejoice greatly when I came to testify your truth, as indeed you are walking in truth. For I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. He's true. He's consistent. He's consistent. I think I gave you three practical handles. Men, true leaders in the home and church walk their talk. Their lives are true. Their words are true. Let me give you three. Here's three handles to put this. Number one, they deal with what is false in their own lives and the lives of those they lead. They deal with what is inconsistent in their own life, which then gives them the humility to deal with others appropriate. Number two, they speak words that are true, and they build up others in the church. They not only build up their family, they build up their church. They don't tear things down with their negative, critical talk. Number three, they squelch gossip, slander, backbiting, and all such destructive talk. They squelch it in their home. They squelch it in the church. And, 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 you know, and sometimes husbands, wives, we need to do this for one another. Sometimes we just got to look our spouse lovingly in the eye and say, you know what? We need to stop talking like that in our home. Zero tolerance. Zero tolerance. I can't make you. I can't control you. But I ask you, and I will lead you by example. We're not going to have that kind of talk. And I, you know what? Nine times out of ten, you may not change their heart, but you will stop their talk. And you're not responsible to change their heart, but you are responsible to control the tone of your home. And we are responsible to control the tone of our church. Well, if you're going to be untrue, you're also going to be unloving. And that's the fourth characteristic of an unleader that we see here in verse 10. Unloving. Now, why do I say that? Notice what he says in verse 10. And not content with that. You know, it's like he's saying, that's bad. But that's not bad enough. So he he wants, you know, he so much wants to be first that he's going to do this. Not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. It's one thing to reject me. Now he's going so far as to reject anyone who threatens his leadership. It's one thing to say what is untrue and unloving, like verse 9. It's even worse to do what is true, untrue and unloving, like in verse 10. Now, this word welcome will not welcome. Some of your Bibles say receive. This word is the same word for not acknowledging my authority in verse 9. So it's the same word. It's used two different ways. So he's saying, look, he not only doesn't acknowledge my authority, but my authority was to welcome the brethren, and now he's not well. He's tying 9 and 10 very close together. I believe what John wrote to the church is the very thing that Diotrephes, the unleader, refuses to do, and Gaius, the true leader, is faithful to do, and that is, I want you to support the gospel financially, physically, relationally. I want you to love furthering the gospel. And Diotrephes says, well, if I further the gospel, i got to die to self, and I like to put me first, not the gospel. So... I'm not going to do that, and I don't want anybody else to do it. Okay, we read the words. 
Let's go on and read 5 through 8. Here's what Gaius, here's the positive true words about Gaius that Diotrephes refuses to do. Look at verses 5 through 8. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love. See, he walks in truth, and because you walk in truth, you walk in love. You do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Look, if the church doesn't do it, who's going to do it? Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers with the truth. Untrue, unloving. True, loving. And how does that manifest itself? Putting the gospel first. Getting the gospel out to the lost. Oh, there's so much here. I... I could say, but let me just put it this way. How, how do you do this? See, it's easy to read that and say, yeah, I, I love missionaries. But you know what he's really talking about? He's talking about giving. He's talking about giving time. He's talking about giving our tithe. He's talking about giving. How do you show loving support? Here's how you start. Give your tithe 10% to the Lord and his local church. Let me just, let me, uh, what what some people call meddling here, let me. It's all actually application of God's word, but let me settle a little bit. To give to missions, but not to our church, is getting the cart before the horse. You're like, I like giving to missions, but that weekly tithe, I'm not into that. Okay, that's cart before the horse. Okay. To give to our church on a faithful basis, to not give to our church, though, on a faithful basis, is to not really love our church, which is the bride of Christ, and Christ bought it with his blood. Okay, you bought the church with his blood. I'm not going to love it enough to give the first fruits of what you give me. You say to love our Lord, to say we love our Lord or, or his church or his missionaries, but not give to them is a mark of an unleader. Are we walking in truth? Are we walking in love? I'll, I'll never forget discipling Randy. Remember that, Randy? Early on, you don't mind me sharing this. And I have several times because it's a great testimony. He was so passionate, so excited about missions. Remember that, Randy? I mean, you were like on fire, just going crazy. And as we're discipling, it kind of comes out along the way that he's not giving to missions. He talked. I mean, every time we'd come in, he'd he'd start talking missions and we'd talk missions. And then finally, we just had to have that chat, didn't we? And say, you know, Randy, I love you. I love your passion. But, you know, there's a disconnect between your, your, your passion for missions and your giving. And you know what? Because he's a true leader, because he is teachable, because he's a servant, what do you do? Oh, okay. I, I would have loved to heard that conversation with Esther. Esther, the budget's going to get smaller. Why? Because we're going to put Jesus first in missions, right? I, I'm sure, you know, and it probably didn't happen overnight, but he got in it. Now, the great ongoing of that story, first of all, so first of all, I'm telling you, Randy would not be leading uh, be a leader and influence for missions in our church if he hadn't made that decisions that many of you, if I hadn't, you know, share with you, you would not know about. He would not be doing this today because you can't sustain that over the long haul without truly giving your heart. Is that not right? So much so that when he lost his job, then he continued to give his faith promise missions even though he didn't have an income. Now that's quite a change, isn't it? Well, that's what true leaders do. Man, I wish I could tell you, in the, over the last six months, uh, since, since uh, the 1st of January and our last WOC, because our giving, because 
people really do love our church, because people are really walking in truth and they are giving, we've been able to give over $11,000 to special projects and we're only halfway through the missions year. And here's one of them. And some of it, you know, I mean, I could go through them all, but, but for time's sake, one of them is a matching gift to Paul Frizzell. He, he needed $11,000 to uh, buy this camp for uh, youth camp. And so we prayed about it as a team, talked about it as a staff, and the offered to pay for half of it, 5000 around there. Well, Lord laid on my heart. I got thinking. I said, well, you know, um, uh, Paul... Let me throw this out to you. You have to be the one that wants to do it. But why don't you present this to your supporters as a matching gift? That there's a church that's matched 5500 and if they match it, they'll give it. He said, man, that's a great idea. So he sent that out. Well, he was talking to a pastor on the phone within, uh, within less than a week, and, and he told the pastor about this, and he said, well, consider that matched. Well, see, because of our faithful giving and our love and our, our commitment to the truth, Two churches were able to combine together and buy this great ground for a youth camp for the gospel. It's amazing. All right. Untrue, unloving, number five, uncooperative. Uncooperative. This is crazy. Not only does he not welcome missionaries himself, but he also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Now, that's just radical. Why would he? Diotrephes is uncooperative. I mean, he's like, not only do I not want to do it, but I don't want what? I don't want anybody else to do it. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Well, he opposed John, and anything that John's for, what was he going to be? And that's what an antagonist is. What are you for? I'm against it. Okay. He wanted to have the first place in the church. It was his pulpit, his people, and any other missionaries coming in would be a threat to his leadership. I think also, if he was born again, he knew he was wrong, and anybody doing right made him feel bad, and so he, I don't want to be around those people. All right. And how far would he go? He'd split the church over it. Number six. Here's the serious stuff. An unleader is ungodly and possibly unsaved. John doesn't stop there. He makes a very serious statement. Look at verse 11. Beloved, affirming his faith in Gaius being born again. Beloved, do not imitate evil. But imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. This is a wicked one-two punch. Well, wicked. Wicked as in, you know, effective. Effective one-two punch. This is a very godly thing he does here. First of all, he says, your leadership is ungodly. It's evil and it's not good. It's not for the benefit of others. It's not for the glory of God. It doesn't further the gospel. Whatever is not that is evil. And he just lays it on the line. This is ungodly. And because it's ungodly, don't imitate it don't be influenced by it but then he says he implies that the unleadership is possibly 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 unsaved whoever does good is from god what's that mean born from above born again born again people don't do these things and whoever does evil has not seen god in case his point is missed wow well i've given you plenty of scriptures to look at He's failing the threefold test. Truth, he rejects God's word. Love, he rejects God's people. Three, he does what is evil and what is not good. It all comes down to this. Don't imitate such people. Don't be influenced by such people. And number seven, an unleader is unqualified. And that's what we get 
in verse 12. Look at verse 12. Demetrius has received a good testimony in contrast to Diotrephes' bad testimony. And he's received it from everyone and from the truth. And we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. When I looked at that, I thought, really, that comes down to three things. Respectability. Everybody, inside and outside the church, say, this guy's true. Respectability. Number two, integrity. The truth. When you look at the Bible and you look at this guy's life, you say, yeah, they measure up. Not perfectly, but consistently. Consistently. And then authenticity. John's saying, look, Demetrius, read real deal. Diotrephes, phony. Don't do it. Now, what does this mean for us? Well, let me just say this. Number one, guys, make sure you know Christ. Make sure you're saved. Because you can't be this kind of leader unless you are born again. But listen to this. If you are born again, you should have this kind of character. It ought to be your testimony. Take steps to grow in Christ. You're here at the Discovery Hour, be consistent. If you haven't been in a small group, get in a small group. If you've fallen away from a small group, then get back into that small group when we really ratchet them up in the fall. Begin to show Christ in serving in some capacity because that's where servant leadership is developed. But ultimately, do whatever you can to further the gospel. Start with giving because where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. So I hope, guys, that this has kind of been a summer four-week course to really challenge you. And uh, I hope you take it to heart because we need godly men, amen, and we need godly leaders, and that's what God wants us to be. So I hope, you know, remember, the uncola may be marvelous, but the unleader is not. Let's be a true leader. And I've given you this handout. Look at that. You can pray over that. You can remind yourself of it. You can ask another man, help me to grow in these areas. Ask your spouse, help me to grow in these areas. Let's pray. Father, we, it's humbling to see the standards that you have for us, and yet it's encouraging to know that we don't do it in our own power. We do it in the power of the gospel. We don't do it in our own power. We do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't do it out of our own resources as we've learned upstairs. It's out of the promises and the power, the very nature of God that dwells in us. So, Lord, we want to man up, step up, and be the leaders that you have called us to be. I pray that every man here is encouraged in Christ to be all that they can be. And that all of us would realize we're leaders that is influencing someone. Lord, we want to influence them to walk in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.